In the following live session recording, Tim Cool, Chief Solution Officer with Cool Solutions Group in Charlotte, North Carolina, leads the session entitled Guests versus Visitors. When you hear the words visitor and guest, do you consider them synonymous? Do you think we are splitting hairs by looking for a distinction between the two terms? Tim Cool believes we must be intentional with the words we use. In this session, Tim will explore some simple but intentional adjustments that we can make to transform your guest's experience. Let's join Tim now. So what we're going to explore today is kind of um, whether or not we have guests or visitors at our church. It's a, I, I've been accused of uh, um, plain semantics as to well, what's the big difference. Is there really that big of a difference? But when you, if you were to pull into a parking lot and saw welcome guest parking versus visitor parking, are you drawn to one of them more than the other? I lean more toward the guest side. Mm-hmm. Sometimes visitor. Pardon? Visitor. Visitor. So I, I believe words mean things to people. And so I'm a big fan of the guest thing because... Guest sounds more like... Excuse me. No, please. Guest sounds more like you've been invited. Exactly. And visitor sounds like you, you came by on your own just to sort of check it out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we don't, have guest be- we don't have visitor bedrooms at our house. We have guest bedrooms. You have guest speakers. You don't have visitor speakers. You've got guest pastors and so on and so forth. So guests have a, a different connotation in, um, to many people. So a visitor, as you've already kind of alluded to, is typically somebody who comes and goes without much preparation on our part or much thought afterwards. You know, whether they stay around, whether they're not. Uh, another word for visitors is in-laws. <laughs> a guest, though, is typically a person who is cared for and has been intentionally prepared to attend. You may not know their name, but you've intentionally prepared for a guest to come. Um, you know, there's somebody that you want to participate in. There's somebody that you'd like to have stick around, ultimately. Um, so maybe we need guests and visitors. We want the ones we want to stick around, the ones we hope go someplace else. <laughs> um, what ends up happening too often is we end up putting barbed wire around our churches with the language we use without even realizing it. Um, you know, when I, when I see uh, signs like this, reserved for church members, now, if I was an urban church with only nine parking spaces and office buildings all around me and I don't want the office dwellers to use it, I get that. But to put up roadblocks to try to have community with people, I think is, is sending the wrong message from a church that says that we're inclusive and that we're trying to reach people and whatnot. Uh, same thing with, um, so my wife and I have triplets. And when they were small, we have visited every church park in city, the city of Charlotte because you need something to do when you've got three kids all the same age. And there were some of them that would go to the head signs, church members only on the playground. It's like, really? And um, it, again, That's insurance. well, it's partially insurance. Uh, insurance is pretty nominal, the added cost for to cover playground. Um, you can put other signage up that, you know, operate at your own risk, use the playground at your own risk kind of stuff versus telling people just to stay out. Um, so 
how many of you have a guest services ministry at your church? A little bit? Okay. So, when I think guest services, the, the typical comment is we need to go the second mile for people, which is great. Um, I, I, I think second mile um, procedures will make people feel more welcome. You know, some... Some examples of that is special seating sections, um, special parking sections. Um, and by the way, if anybody wants this after we're done, you can give me an email address and I'll have an email to you. Um, you know, my church uh, in Charlotte, we've, we actually ask guests to turn on their flashers and they pull in the parking lot so that the, the greeters know that those are guests and then they meet them and give them you know, information and it all goes to a special guest parking area. Um, you know, a lot of churches are giving away free t-shirts and mugs or swag bags or a CD of worship music or, or the sermon or something like that. Um, another example of a um, uh, going the second mile, how many of you got lost getting to this room today? Okay. I did too. Yesterday, I think it took me three attempts to finally find the room. Well, think about a first-time guest experience. If this was the kid's classroom of a, a mom with three kids in tow trying to find this room and how exasperating that could be. So one of the second mile things to do is have, you know, walk the kids to their classes. Um, have, have people that have bright t-shirts on and walk them to where they need to go. But with a second mile approach, we can't aff afford what I call first mile things. So if you're a first time guest, which one of these two images is more important? You know, so many, I've been in so many churches that have the mints in the restroom now and you know, isn't that great? But if you're on a toilet paper, I'm not using those mints to take care of my business, okay? So we need to be making sure that we remember the first mile things and we take advantage of that. Or, you know, is it important to have the fancy soaps or to have a cleanly, you know, bathroom without trash falling over and stuff? Clean bathroom. Yes. Let me give you a little story about clean bathrooms. Having triplets, my wife and I always were looking for things to do. And across the street from our house is a um, Harris Teeter grocery store. And um, Harris Teeter, until they got bought by Kroger, had the nicest stores. And so when you take triplets to the grocery store, besides the candy aisle and the free cookie display, where else do you take them? How many trips with triplets do you make? Three. Milk, restroom, milk, bread, you know, it was, it was constant. The Harris Teeters that we'd go to always had tiled floors, tiled walls, no odors, plenty of paper products. There wasn't trash on the floor. It was clean, it was tidy, no stained ceiling tiles. So as a, if I were a non-believer, and that's my Saturday experience, and I come to your church on Sunday, will it be similar or will it be totally different? Because they will judge us by those kind of things regardless of how good the sermon is. Because that's what they experienced. Same thing, is it more important to get the, the cool t-shirt or to not have coffee stains on the floor? I mean, the, yeah. those are things that, that jump out at me. I have to tell you about the coffee stain. I had a, said a 
cup up there because I'm the preacher, had my cup. And that was one of those days. Didn't sleep well, so I had iced coffee in the cup instead of just water. The minister of music knocked it, hit the floor, out goes the cup. I literally go to the closet and the people are seeing well, as far as sink. There I am cleaning up that coffee stain. And I had, and I, you think nothing of it. I had people sitting there saying it was amazing to see the preacher sitting there clean. It might be the only time we saw a preacher clean, but we saw him clean. Mm -hmm. And what was that? It mattered to everybody there that that was a priority in yep. that church. Yeah. Andy Stanley has, has done a couple of podcasts on, on what leaders do. And one of my favorites that he's done is on leaders pick up the trash. And when he walks through the hallway, if he sees trash on the floor, he will stop and pick it up and throw it away. But if we all had that same sense of ownership of keeping our buildings nice, we wouldn't have as much wear and tear and trash and so on and so forth. So th this isn't a very churchy sounding question, but who's your competition? Baseball. Yeah. Yep. I'm glad nobody immediately said another church. Because no other church is your competition. If we're all kingdom minded and we're all in the same game together, then th we're not competitors with each other. So it's not another congregation. Your number one competitor is why should I get out of bed in the morning? Again, for a moment, take your I go to church hat off and put your I don't go to church hat on. Why, why would I get out of bed to come to church? I mean, that's my one day to sleep in in the week. The next is other activities. Diane, you already mentioned it. Baseball, soccer, travel this, travel that. It just wears me out. When I, when I hear what parents are doing for their kids, taking them to all these games and swim meets and stuff, it's, it's nonstop. <laughs> Um, I asked our Sunday school director what time because um, his son was one of only four children that we had that came to Sunday school. We, I'm from a really small church. And um, during ball season and on into the summer, they wouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. He would be with his son at a ball game or a ball practice. And, and so I just asked him one day, I said, why don't you get some parents together and protest having these games or practices during worship service? Mm -hmm. And he said, to be very honest with you, I'd probably be the only one that would object. Yeah, yeah. When I, my dad was a pastor. He was a Wesleyan pastor. And um, so I'm actually an ecumenical mess. I can lose my salvation and live under grace at the same time. <laughs> but um, we, Dad pastored in Buffalo, New York during part of my growing up time. And even in a big city like Buffalo, and this was back in the late 60s, early 70s, they did not have sports activity on Wednesday night or anytime on Sunday because those were church nights. Even in a town like Buffalo that's heavy Catholic, those were important days. Now I live in the Bible Belt, Charlotte, North Carolina. And seven days a week is open for public school use, for, for team sports, you name it. So it's become a cultural thing that it, we, we need another day of the week, so we're going to take Sunday now. And so other activities are your second biggest competitor. Your third biggest competitor is every other consumeristic experience they had that week. It was the dinner 
where the food was brought out on time and it was hot. It was the, the coffee shop uh, barista that remembers your name when you walk in. These are things, again, this is, I, I don't go to church hat. This is my non-believer hat. And frankly, for your facilities, if your facility is functioning for us four and no more, then none of this is really relevant. If, the, if you want your building and your church to reach guests and people not there yet, then these are things we need to take notice of. Um, you know, the, as I've already mentioned, the clean restrooms in, in retail stores and whatnot, free Wi-Fi. Um, in, in Charlotte, we've got a, a group of cinemas called the Cinnabar, which is where you go and they bring you food and you sit and watch the movie and it's not just popcorn. I mean, it's pizzas and burgers and all sorts of stuff like that. They've created an experience, if you will, as part of that. So think, think through on your facility, what would a first time guest be? This woman shows up with two or three kids in tow, no, no husband with her. What do you want her to tell her friends on Monday about her experience at your church on Sunday. So let me give you one narrative, and it probably wouldn't be too far off for this church. Where do I park? I couldn't find a parking spot. Parking wasn't obvious. I finally got into the building. I came in the wrong end. I didn't know which door to go into. My kids' rooms were in three different parts of the building. I could hardly find my way through it. I was 15 minutes late getting into worship in a cold sweat. I couldn't wait to get out of there. Is that the story we want people to communicate on Monday? I don't think so. Um, so one of the things I suggest to, to all of my clients is to write your own story. So let me kind of explain that. Write a kind of a script or a story as to what is the ideal guest experience. Start from the point about when they learned about your congregation. Tell me where people go to learn more about your church. It's a little thing called the internet. Okay, so it starts there. That's where the story and, and the experience begins. So from the time they hear about it, whether it's somebody invited them, they found you on the internet, whatnot, what, what do you want to happen? Then from the, the website leading to the time I pull into the parking lot. What do you want that guest experience to be? Walking up to the buildings. You know, are they walking up going door A, B, C, D, E, F, G, I don't know which one to go to kind of thing. Or do they, is it obvious where I need to go? What's the, uh, as I'm walking uh, to the buildings and then the initial interaction, do I have to wait until I am all the way into the building before I ever meet the first soul from that church? Or is there somebody outside that's greeting me? Maybe someone even in the parking lot. Parking lot ministries, to me, are, are one of the greatest advantages or greatest opportunities to make a connection with someone that's new. Because um, they're, they're going to be confused where to go, what to do. If you meet them in the parking lot, you start to build a relationship with them early on. You can give them direction, make it a little easier to navigate your campus. In addition, parking lot ministries are a wonderful way to utilize men in your church that won't serve a nursery. They want to do a manly task. Well, if I get to wear a cool orange vest and work out in the parking lot, that's kind of manly feeling. So you get an opportunity to involve more volunteers in this. 
you know, what's it like to drop off the kids? What's the worship experience, etc. So I recommend to our clients is that they they get their at least their senior leadership, whether that's staff or deacons or whoever, and each write the ideal guest experience, and then come together and kind of uh, put it into one single. It'll do two things for you. You'll be able to look at that and say, that's ideal. This is what's happening now. Now where's the gaps? The other thing it will do is. It will be a wonderful training tool for your volunteers. If they all know this is what the expectations are, this is the ideal guest experience, then they'll understand what needs to happen throughout that whole process. In addition to that, all facilities tell a story. When you're on your way home today, every building you drive by for a little while, just think in your mind, what story did that tell? And I'll, I'll give you a prime example here in just a minute. But every building tells a story. Every piece of architecture communicates something. Either it's a memory or a preconceived notion or something. There is some story that's evoked every time we see something. So I'm going to show you four or five pictures of real churches. And I need you to put on your, I'm brand new to this community. First time I've ever driven by this facility at 25 miles an hour. This is, you're going to have to be interactive at this point. You're going to have to speak out loud. Uh, but t tell me what your first thoughts are. Now, two caveats. One is I'm not going to show you anything offensive. Number two, these are all of church buildings, and I'm not disparaging any one of them. Okay? They all have their purpose in their place. So with that in mind, you're driving in your new town, and you pass this building. Immediate thought. I'm old-fashioned, and so I might not go there first mm -hmm. because they might be playing uh, only contemporary music, and because I'm old-fashioned, I like to hear some of the old songs. Too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyone else? I'm going to be blunt. It looks like that's a shed to me. Mm -hmm. That's not a church. It doesn't look like a church. It, it, yeah. It's just it's not appealing to me, and I know... First impression, I'm like, ah, that yep. the color is just not there for me, and I'm yeah, more of a brick and mortar kind of guy. Well, there's no landscape. There's no other landscape. Other than the steeple. Other than that, that's it. Yeah. It looks like a gym if the steeple wasn't up there. Yep. Yeah. Field house. So you, you realize you all made a judgment on that church in about 15 to 20 seconds, and they may be the most loving, warm people ever there. And so we got to remember, first, people in our community are judging us before they ever get to meet us. How about this one? Not too much different for me. I don't know. I would It is funny, and here's what draws me a little more in. you got to pay parking lot. And I'm like, hmm. you know, that's a nice parking lot. It looks like it might be a new church start. You know, I might give them a shot. Yeah. For, for me, when I look at it, there's nothing appealing about the architecture of the building. There just isn't. It but, looks like a rehab of another business. Yes. I mean, that's, to me, its redemptive factor is this obviously was a warehouse or a mechanic shop or something that's got a roll-up door, which means that they've repurposed an otherwise secular building for sacred purposes. So while I don't necessarily find it attractive, there's a redemptive factor yes. that, that goes into it, which gives me a, a, a moment of good for them. You know, 
they instead of having to spend lots of money to buy land and do that, they did this. And they obviously they really have new landscaping mm -hmm. because it's all so small yep because it's planted in areas where it could grow bigger yep and since it's not it must be like y'all were talking about a new a new attempt here mm -hmm. and it does look a little bit more welcoming welcoming than the first one yes it does how about this what do you what do you immediately think church as i knew it growing up that's church. That's the way it was. The way it looked when I was growing up. It's probably traditional church. Probably hymn singing. Basically, what I'm familiar with from my childhood. Mm -hmm. Doesn't look like a Baptist church, though. If you were looking at yeah, the church, it was. No, it's not. No, that's an Episcopal church. If you were looking for a Baptist church, to me, it doesn't look like a Baptist church. So, if yeah, for me, when I when I look at it, I think two things. First off, is it's a bunch of old people and there's no parking. Those are the two things that pop in my mind. Because it's probably an urban setting, downtown, so you've got limited parking, and it's predominantly older folks. Otherwise, they may have gone someplace else. Again, preconceived notion. That's just, that's just me. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but it's what comes to my mind. Now, how about this? That would be where I go first. To me, that shouts first something. First Baptist, First Presbyterian, First Methodist, it's first something. Now, I was a music major in college. Don't hold that against me. And so I immediately think about music when I look at buildings. And so my first thought is hymnals and choir rooms. Oh, yeah. Again, not right or wrong, it's just that's my first, first take on it. You know, and it's probably built somewhere in the South. It looks like the church I grew up in. And I'm wondering how well the acoustics are in that building. Uh huh. And I know that sounds terrible, but I'm a pastor, and when I look at that, it's like, am I going to have to heavily lean on a sound system, or is the acoustics in there? It's kind of big, so probably the acoustics are going to be. Yep. So, one last picture. Again, this is a church. Dream church. I could go fishing anytime I want to. <laughs> when you come to my boat. Uh, that would be one way to get there. <laughs> I don't see any parking. So, um, my first thought was uh, Thomas Kincaid. <laughs> Picture. <laughs> that was my first thought. <laughs> Pick the Church of Lights. But this is a church out in uh, Huntington Beach, California. So Eric Geiger, who was the number two man at Lifeway until six, eight months ago, took this as his pastor. This is Mariner's Church out in, um, out in Huntington Beach, California, near L.A. Mariner's Church runs about 10,000 people on a weekend. They have a 4,000-seat black box. So what I mean by black box is contemporary, industrial feeling, no windows, you know, lots of seats. They can fit about 4,000 people in it. However, the neighborhood that this church is in, and they've got 50 acres that's worth about five gazillion dollars of where it's located. Most of the houses are high-end houses around them and most of the background of those people are liturgical. Catholic, Episcopal, you know, something a little more mainline. And so their black box doesn't say church to them. And that's cult. That's, you know, those fringe wackos over there. So what they did is they needed a wedding chapel because who wants to heat and cool a 4,000 seat room for a 200 person wedding? 
So they built this wedding chapel for about 350 people, put a steeple on it. In addition, they built pray, praying, uh, praying stations inside, just like you would in a liturgical church. So they have a candle lighting area where you can go in and you know say prayers for somebody. They got parchment paper and whatnot. And they keep it open 24/7 so that the community can feel like they can come in and out. Well, that that now says church to those people that otherwise the big black box doesn't say church to. So it communicates something for people that otherwise wouldn't have darkened the doors. So all facilities will tell a story. The question is, is it congruent with who you are? It Does it really represent who you are as a church? Remembering, the church is the people, the building is just the building. The next is, is it congruent with who you think you are, which is different than who you are? So we do a fair amount of Sunday um, assessments at churches where we kind of come in as a secret worshiper kind of thing. And I love it when the, the staff tells me, oh yeah, you're going to love it. We are a very friendly church. Then I get there and no one gives me a bulletin, doesn't shake my hand. What they meant is we're friendly with each other, but we're not necessarily friendly with outsiders. And so who you are and who you think you are may be different things. It also needs to be congruent with what you believe and your vision and mission. If you believe that you need to help the homeless, you need to help those in sex trafficking, you want to do missions work and, and all those things, and you walk in and you've got a $10,000 chandelier and Italian marble floor, that's incongruent with what your vision and mission is. It's, it's telling a confusing story to people. Also, is it congruent with who you are trying to reach? I use the term target market. And um, uh, it always gets me in trouble, but I kind of enjoy that. Um, when I think of target, let me just kind of say, target market for the Church Universal, capital C, is the Great Commission. Every individual church, small c, has a different target market. There's no church that can be all things to all people. Just impossible. And so when I think in terms of what's your target market, I, I refer back to Larry Burkett and Dave Ramsey when they say if you want to know where your heart is, look at your checkbook. So if you want to know what your target market is, look at where you spend time and money. That's your target market. So evaluating that against what you really are trying to accomplish as a church is critical. I'll walk into a church and they'll say, yeah, um, Young families with kids are our target. We need that to grow the church and to, you know, for the next generation. I totally agree. And then I walked in their facility and it's like, oh no, you're not. That's not your target at all. You know, you you walk in and there's mildew on the ceiling. There's, you know, stains on the carpet, duct tape on the carpet, and all that kind of stuff. Do you think a new mama is going to want to leave their child in that kind of setting? Probably not. And so you can't say that it's your target if, if the condition of the facility doesn't match that. Then also your community. Is your facility congruent with your community? You, um, I love church planners. Uh, man, they've got passion. I can never do what they do. Um, but what ends up happening too often with church planners, particularly in larger communities, is they look for the hottest growing area. That's where they want to go, where the fastest growth is. And they go buy some land. And then because they've spent all this money on the most expensive land in town, they 
put one of those metal buildings up on their site without consideration that all the houses around them are half a million dollar or more houses. So do you think that the doctor or attorney that's living in that half a million dollar house is going to come to the metal building down the street? If anything, you've probably ticked them off. Right. You've degraded the value of my community by putting that building there. So well, I'm not saying that we have to be opulent or keep up with the Joneses or any of that. But we at least need to be sensitive to what the impact we're having with our community. We, do, we don't want to put up a barrier and put the barbed wire around our church before we even get to meet the people in our community. So a, a lot of the things that, that can be done are really a matter of just being intentional about it. And intentional doesn't mean more expensive. It means being intentional. Uh, give you a prime example, and I'm going to use several examples about Walt Disney as we come up because they are probably the best at guest services anywhere in the world. But the story goes that Walt Disney had a bag of popcorn, and he would walk down Main Street, USA, and when he was done with the popcorn, he told them that's where the next trash can needs to go. His philosophy was, if it takes me this long to eat popcorn or eat my snack, then I'm better to put another trash can here than have people just throw it on the ground. Yeah, maybe they spend a little bit more on trash cans, but it's all about being intentional, thinking through how are people going to function and flow through our building. So let's look a little bit at first impressions. Because, again, take off your I go to church hat and put on I'm a first time guest at, at your church. It, it said that it takes seven seconds to create a first impression. So the first impression is always going to start at your website. Even if you invited me to the nicest restaurant in your community, before I go, I'm probably getting on, online. I'm going to see what the menu is. What, what, would it, what do I think I'm going to order? Is there a dress code? Is there whatever and ever and ever? It used to be that if you wanted to know what was going on in your community, you sat on the front porch. My grandparents lived in the same house most of their life in Canton, Ohio. And if we wanted to know what was going on with the neighbors, we sat on the front porch because you could hear them arguing, you could hear them talking, you, could, you know, everything else. And if Grandpa wanted to know what was going on in the larger community, he would take me to the general store, we'd sit on the rocking chairs and eat pumpkin seeds and listen to all the guys talking. That's how we found out what was going on. Today, let me go back, Google is the front porch of most of our community and society. But could you imagine having a senior women's website page with Britney Spears on your website? This is a true church website. It's one of those Yahoo sites where um, uh, you allow them to put advertising on so that you get paid a little bit of money. I don't care how much money they pay you. I don't want Britney Spears on my website. Okay. So, we, again, being intentional. You wouldn't, it doesn't cost you any more to have a, a website that communicates a more congruent story. Or um, there's, there's a couple of really good companies out that have these kind of out-of-the-box websites. And they come with pre-loaded um, photos and stuff like that. Well, could you imagine having a website that shows kids frolicking through flowers or playing on a playground and you show up and everybody's 65 and older? 
you've, you've, you've created a bait and switch with people and they're not going to like it. So need to be aware of that. The second place is your streetscape and exterior signage. The first type, not, not your parking lot, but your streetscape. Because they may have checked you online. At some point, they're probably going to drive by the church. Or they have driven by the church. So that's going to communicate a story. So this is probably my favorite sign. Going to hell, you are welcome. Really? We would put that out in front of our church? Or, don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is the story we're communicating. Or, anybody been to outside Dayton, Ohio? This is Touchdown Jesus. That's what's been done. This church built this huge thing out in front of their pond that got struck by lightning and burned <laughs> to the ground. So now they've built a arms out Jesus instead of a touchdown. But again, these are all things that are communicating a story to the churches that, that we belong to. God didn't like that one either. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. The next is your parking lot. We've already talked about parking lot ministry being a great opportunity for folks. Um, but there's lots of different things. The parking lot ministry team isn't just there for safety. It's as much there for interconnectivity with people as anything. Um, yes, they can help with safety and whatnot, particularly if your church parking lot has what I refer to as the river of death, which is that alleyway between the buildings and the parking lot where everyone's zinging to try to get out of the parking lot while everyone else is trying to cross the parking lot. It's the river of death because you have to be very cautious to not become part of the river. So parking lot ministry, give you another little story. Um, we were part of a church plant back in the um, mid 80s in Charlotte. And we built a gym gymatorium, sanctanasium, whatever you want to call it, uh, where we had gym and church in the same building. And um, there were a group of us, I was much younger at the time, that would play basketball every Saturday morning. And we had the agreement that we would play basketball until about 9 o'clock, but then we had to set up all the chairs and put the hymnals out for Sunday morning. That wasn't great for eight or nine years. And then the church kept growing and built a permanent sanctuary with pews. All of a sudden, that group didn't have something to do together. That was my, that was my life group. That was my, this was the guys you slap on the hiney and say, how was your Friday? How are the kids doing? How was your week at work? Those are the guys that we did life with. All of a sudden, that was taken away from us because we didn't have anything to set up anymore. If the church had thought about it, and they said, hey, now we've got this big sanctuary with all this parking, why don't you guys on Sunday show up and help? There, that's, I would have done that because I'm not serving in your nursery, not after having three kids at one time. <laughs> not happening. Think of all that experience now. Oh, I know. I know, and I'm happy to write a book about it if someone wants to read it. So after parking lot is wayfinding. And wayfinding is just a fancy way to say signage and how do I get from place to place. So another one of Walt Disney's stories is that he believed that you could get a dog to do anything you wanted one of two ways. You either can take a stick and beat it, or you can take that same stick, put a weenie on the end, and lead it. 
Okay? So, has anybody been to Disney? Okay, so you all make too much money because uh, it costs an arm and two legs. Um, so when you get to Disney and you've paid too much money and you walk around the shrubbery to the fire station and you're on Main Street USA and you're looking down at Main Street USA, what's the first thing you see? There's not a single sign that says, go there for the castle. There are no ushers saying, this way to the castle. It's a weenie. And I'm not talking about the musicians at your church. Um, sorry. I was a music major. I can, I can do that. It's, it draws you in. It, it gives you a sense of, this is where I need to go. In fact, they were so intentional when building this, the architecture actually gets slightly shorter the closer you get to it so that when you're standing back it looks like a funnel yeah. effect to it. But I was so disappointed the first time I went because Tinkerbell was not in the castle. Oh. And, and it was just basically a walkthrough because the offices were in that castle. Okay. <laughs> I'd ask so for my money back. sure if we have something that guides them to our building yep. that there's something in there for them. Exactly. Think about mainstream work. Well, if you notice from the picture, but you don't see it there, the beginning is very wide. Mm -hmm. The closer you get, it gets narrower. Yeah. Yep. It's it, literally, it's yep. like it, it like narrows a down. And then the minute you step into any of the parks, the music changes, That's right. the pavement changes, even the smells change. They're very intentional about creating that experience as, as you come through. So the reason we need more weenies is because particularly for the male attendees it's illegal to ask directions okay as a man you just can't do it and so I'm always looking for a visual clue to help get me to where I need to be because I want to figure it out on my own I don't want to ask ask directions so you would read directions yes I would read directions oh. if it was on a sign or something I'd anything like that don't don't hand me a book but kind of nonchalantly read the directions. yeah I, I'd act like oh well, that's the way I go. And that way I look like I know what I'm doing. So there's lots of different ways that we can do it. There, uh, <coughs> pavement. I'm a big fan of vinyl graphics because they're removable. They're easily taken down. But, you know, this church has done fairly well. When you come in the rotunda, they've got a nice sign with the buildings listed and the different colors and whatnot. Um, they've done a really nice job. If, if you haven't been down the kids' wing yet, the Purple Hall, they've done a really nice job with that. <laughs> Some of the other areas, not so much. But the kids' area has really done, done well. Um, but just things to, to help people navigate your facility. So I travel a lot. And um, I, I generally am on a, on a plane three, four times a month. And uh, so when I land at an airport that I've never been to before, I look for these three signs. Okay, stick figure man, restroom. I'm looking for the rental car and the luggage. The minute I see those three signs, my anxiety goes down because I know I can navigate the space. Think about a first-time guest to your church. Their, their level of anxiety is going to be high. If this is a first-time experience, they don't know what to expect. Are they going to be handling snakes? Are there going to be weird things? You know, what's going on with these people? So there's going to be anxiety. The more we can help them navigate our facility, their anxiety will start to go down. Um, so I look for those kind of things. Now, the worst airport in the country 
for finding your way around is the Denver International Airport. I've flown in there a dozen times and I still can't figure it out. Now, they do have, though, a yoga room. So um, <laughs> there are some advantages to flying into Denver is they, they do have a yoga room. So after wayfinding then is the interactions that happen. This has nothing to do with your building. This is purely on the interactions of the people and the guests. Too often, a, I walk into a building that is extremely well done and the interactions are poor. Well, that, that erodes my experience. I've attended lots of churches that meet in school buildings where the school building doesn't help them from telling a story, but the interactions were off the chart. Well, I had a much better experience there. So this isn't all just about facilities. There's got to be the complementary part of the human interaction with people. So has anyone ever been to an Apple store? Okay. Well, Apple stores are the only stores that I'm aware of that have a huge missing component that every other retail store has. A checkout counter. They don't have a checkout counter. What they have is their employees wear an iPhone or have an iPad, and they help you decide what you want, and they take the order right there, and then you buy it right there. So you're not having to now walk up to a counter, wait in line. You've got personal attention that helps you from start to end. So could you imagine, um, instead of that, that mom with three kids standing in line, pulling on her skirt, handing them a stack of papers and forms they need to fill out, what if you had workers that had an iPad that walked up to them and started a conversation, and as they're talking, they're entering the data for them right off the bat? Number one, it helps reduce anxiety for that guest, but it now has also built a relationship because then the next time they come back, they already know somebody. They have, they have a connection with someone. Andy Stanley was asked, what, what is a win at North Point Church? Baptism, salvations. His was its second time guests. He goes, if we did a good enough job the first time, and they came back a second time, now we have an opportunity to make an impact on their life. And so what, what can we do to increase that first time guest experience? The next is the condition of our facility. As a first time guest, the condition is going to speak volumes to people. I'm gonna show you some pictures of churches we've done assessments for. I mean, grass growing up, duct tape on carpet, you know peeling paint. These are things that a first-time guest see. Um, don't tell Johnny Owens, who's the facility manager, but when you go out this door, go about eight, eight feet and look straight up. There's a massive leak. I mean, it's fresh, too, because it's gray. They were working on the air conditioner up there yesterday. Yeah. And so, you know, they, those are, again, as a first-time guest, I see that. I'm, God wired me really weird. When I walk into a building, I look at ceilings and floors. I'm looking, even here, that ceiling tile is different than that ceiling tile. That light fixture has two different colors of light bulbs in it. Those are things that, to me, I got bugs in that. That's cool. you know, to, to me, that I can clean those out and it will not cost me a dime. But I can be intentional about it and, and make that change. 
Buying two different color light bulbs, that's an unintentional act. That means someone went to Lowe's and found the, what was ever on sale and brought it back and put it in there instead of saying, no, that's a cool white bulb, and to match, I use a cool white bulb. Again, it wouldn't have cost them any more to buy one versus the other. But you look at the type of things that you see when you walk through a building. So I, I live in Charlotte, and Charlotte used to be the headquarters or the, the main hub for U.S. Scare. Uh, U.S. Air, I'm sorry. Um, and um, until American bought them out. But in 2008, I stopped flying U.S. Air, even though it was the hub, and I went to Delta. And um, what happened that year is we went on a family trip, and when we got on the plane, we, I had points, so we were using U.S. Air. There was tape on the floor. The seats were all tattered. You could have gravelins hanging from them. The TVs were the 1950 tube type that would fold down and push back up. And the staff were just miserable. They were unhappy people. And I told my wife, if that's what they want the paying population to see, what's going on underneath this plane that I can't see? And I just stopped flying. It, to me, it communicated something of a lack of interest in the condition of their airplane. So a first-time guest that shows up and sees something that looks you know, similar to any of these, do you think they're going to think, oh, that, that church is so caring, they're going to take care of my, build, my family because they take such good care of their building? Or are they going to question whether or not you can take care of them because you're not taking care of the building? So these are all things that I'm not suggesting you run home and make carte blanche changes. But walk into your buildings with a new set of eyes, with an eyes of a first-time guest. Uh, Eric mentioned earlier about when he had someone that he thought was going to join the church kind of walk through and whatnot. Even if you go back home and ask someone that doesn't attend your church, and preferably someone that's not even a, a Christ follower, to come and attend on a Sunday, unannounced, and then afterward take them to lunch and, and pick their brain. What was it like to be a first-time guest at our building? Was it hard to navigate? Were you able to find your way around? Um, was the temperature good? Were the restrooms clean? This will be the cheapest consulting you'll ever get, is get fresh eyes on your facility. So I'm sure none of you are going to mind, uh, but we're going to end a little early because I'm out of slides. But, <laughs> but it's not because I'm trying to short you, I'm just I'm out of slides. So let me just take a minute, though, and open it up if there's any questions, any comments, any things that, that I can help clarify any further. How do you take an older building, and uh, our church building is all basically wood paneling, and it has that older feel to it, and help it feel that it's not dated mm -hmm. to a first-time guest, because sometimes some people like me, like we showed slides and all me up, and that's the way it was raised. It had bothered me there was no parking because it was that down home feeling. I went back home. But I know also in my setting for those that are didn't grow up in church and all that, how do I create an environment that is inviting where it has that data, that tradition feeling yeah. to it? So there's, there's several things. The, the number one thing is paint. Paint covers a multitude of sins. 
and, and can make buildings look totally transformed. Um, the, the guys that were leading worship downstairs were from Bethlehem Church over in Winder, Georgia. And I've, I've helped them on several projects. And they first brought me in almost 12 years ago and said, Man, we've, we've got a sanctuary of 400 people, we're running 900 people, and we need to build, but we can't afford to build. And I told them, you don't need to build. You had a fe- they had a fellowship hall that could seat 400 people. I said, you just need to have a second venue, which they did. And I said, and paint your brick. They had mauve brick from the 1980s. Well, what man in his right mind in rural Georgia who drives an F-250 goes to a pink church? <laughs> he doesn't. So they painted it beige and, and with some brown trim and whatnot and made it more manly looking. They finally grew up to over 2,500 people and we came back and helped them get a 900 seat sanctuary in place. But it's little things like that. You can paint paneling. You can put um, thin drywall over paneling and make it feel more you know, 2019 kind of thing. There's, there's a number of different things like that. I mean, you rip the paneling off and replace it. But, um, colors, paint, and flooring are great ways to make a building feel more up to date. We have some issues um, with uh, well members who's um, who are descendants of the original church planters, mm-hmm. uh, and our church is over 120 years old, and they're all buried in the cemetery out there, and so it's sort of like, well, one thing that happened before my husband and I went there was lightning struck the steeple and burned the church down. And so we do have a more modern looking church now. Mm -hmm. Um, But they don't want to make changes. You know, they, they felt like this is the way the church needed to be. My first thought when I went there was, well, they're not planning to grow their Sunday school in We've got two, we've got five rooms that are not as big as this room that we can have Sunday school classes in. Mm-hmm. And and they're not wanting to do anything about it. You know, we we talked about and once in a while some of us bring up, well, you know, let's do this. And they don't want to make any changes. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know how to get beyond that. Yeah, the, it, it, the whole concept of change um, is interesting because everything changes. Um, I've shared this a couple of times already, but I didn't see any hitching posts out in the parking lot for horse, horse and buggy. Yeah. So how many of them would want to go back to horse and buggy and sanctuaries with no air conditioning? Okay, things have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I see a smartphone sitting on... You see, next year, okay? That device right there is only 12 years old. And now today, most of us feel like we couldn't live without it. Things change, and we have to continue to change with it. Now, the gospel never changes. But our means and methods of delivering it has to change. So I, I, being a music major, I love the conversation about traditional versus contemporary. And my first... When someone says they want to go traditional, my first comment is, great, we're going to a Gregorian chant. Because that was traditional in its day. 
And then that moved into people like Bach and Beethoven that were the traditional church musicians of the day. Fanny Crosby and William Bradbury, who have written some of our greatest hymns, were considered radicals. They were too contemporary for their day. Well, now they're considered traditional. The bottom line is traditional generally means what you've already said. It's what I grew up with, Paul. That's what traditional is. Contemporary should have nothing to do with the style of music. The reality is, is all of our worship is contemporary because the definition of contemporary is it's happening right now. So all worship is contemporary. So I, I don't, I don't adhere to the contemporary versus traditional. I, to me, those are those are made up words that the church uses as divisive tools, which is unfortunate. I talk more in terms of being contextual with who you're trying to reach and who your market is. Um, you come to the church that my son and I go to, and it's it's very modern in the music, and, and, and we got earplugs at the front door. I mean, it's it's that I call it full contact worship. Um, but Tim Keller, who is the pastor at Redeemer up in New York City, they're growing like crazy, and their coats and ties, string quartets, they're trying to reach the Wall Street banker type that's up there. So they understood their market, and they geared how to do church around who they were trying to reach. So whether it's music or the facilities or programming and whatnot, things change and we have to adapt to that. We're not, again, not keeping up with the Joneses, not trying to capitulate to culture per se, but there are some things that just change. I had a group of millennials that I, I met with that complained to me that their church didn't have a recycling bin. And think about it. My, my kids are almost 23. They've never known a world without recycling bins. We have it at home, they have it at school, they have it in the stores they frequent, so on and so forth. And so they're like, they show up at my church and they don't have recycling bins. They're not, are they not good social citizens? Do they not care about God's creation? We have to take these things into consideration as we're looking at, if we're truly going to try to impact the next generation to come up, what things do we need to do to not just make them feel comfortable, but at least make it feel congruent with everyday life that they're currently living. That's my soapbox, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I think we have that in our church. And just take the ushers. Mm -hmm. We take up the offering on Sunday. We have the older people, the guys, who say, if you're going to take up that offering, you're going to walk that out with a coat and tie. Right. We've got a lot of good Christian people sitting in our congregation who would love to help with that. They don't even own a coat and tie. Yeah. And Jesus but, didn't either. And way. he did not. And, but there's contention because we want to stay with the coat and tie. Well, you're discouraging these guys from wanting to participate and be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And it's been a hard struggle to get them to let go of their traditional way of dressing. We did. We had that issue in, a, in our church that we went to for 30 years after we first got married. And what they ended up doing, we had, you know, a morning worship service at 11, and that was the coat and ties. But in our evening services, we let the other people, the, the ones who don't want to wear coat and tie, take up the uh, um, offering. And over the years, they just kind of adopted that 
whatever you feel comfortable wearing, wearing, you can wear, and you don't all four, six, or however many ushers you have, yeah. you have to wear the same. I assure you that the 20 and 30 year olds aren't looking at a guy in coat and tie and saying, well, he's not a Christian because he's wearing a coat and tie. Let me ask this question, and it's coming from a pastor point of view. I guess they wouldn't care too much for me because I'm the pastor, and I do not wear a coat unless it's the Lord's Supper, and because you know, I feel like that's where you need to sacrament and be respectful of the sacrament to wear the coat. And that's just me. That's in that regards. But I I don't wear the coat because here's what I discovered. I'm very hot in nature. And I'm very, as you haven't noticed, I use my hands, and so I'm very into it when I speak and I teach and I preach. And so when you're doing that, guess what happens? You're probably starting to get a little warm because you're moving, mm -hmm. and I wear that coat, the coat sits there and does not let you air out, shall we say. And um, and I, and, and I spiders, you know, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, and so I just sit there and be drenched in sweat and you know, one of the pastors to greet them as they're walking out the door. Who wants to shake the hand of a man that's hands is just covered in sweat and it's because even though I had a hanky and I was doing that all the time, that hanky lasts about five swipes and then it's soaking wet and it ain't doing me no good. And so uh, I don't worry. Think how the Bishop T.D. Jakes and, must feel. Oh, I can only imagine and I'm older and I remember watching Homer Lindsay Jr. in First Baptist Jacksonville. He was the one who wore the, the best and and how he did it, I don't know. But I sit there and I don't wear that. Mm -hmm. And I'm listening to y'all talking about the coat and tie. Now, my beloved usher, he sits there and he makes sure he always goes to me to take my, and he tells to the whole congregation without me, it sure is nice to have a paying preacher. And people say, you shouldn't let him say that. I said, oh no, I like that he's doing that. And they go, why is that? Because everybody in church knows their pastor gives his tithe every Sunday and he set an example. Let that man say that so that the congregation knows they got an obligation to give their tithes to the Lord. I said, I like that. And he and he's a uh, and I let the guy do that. And he'll sit there sometimes, mm -hmm. tease people and and uh in that nature and some people he's shaming people. I sit there and I'm going, he's clowning around, that he's making it lighthearted to make people feel comfortable in the church as the plate goes by. And so, and he's spot on. But it took people a while to catch on to his antics because they wanted us. And I'm like, it's okay that this guy's doing that. It's all right. People are responding to it and enjoying it. Well, I hope I've left you with a few things to think about as you head back home. Uh, to your church, you know, hopefully you'll walk through your building with a set of fresh eyes now and be looking for, you know, what it would be like to be a first-time guest. So, hope you enjoy the rest of your day and safe travels back home. Thank you. That was excellent, Tim. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And I'm going to give you my card because you said you. Yeah, give my my son uh, your. All right. Yep. And your name is Cool. Uh, just call me Lee. Because <laughs> all he says is cool solutions. I can I can go by cool solutions group with my first name. Either one. For me, it's just that's my boy. That's my boy. <laughs> call me the driver. Were you the first, the middle, or the, middle. the last? You were the middle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there were three minutes apart from each other. Okay. Yeah. And, Thank you, and two two girls and all. Two. Bo 
So got that's it. why you, you say your son. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One. one for me, two for her. <laughs> two for her. <laughs> Keep it really simple. Being the mother of twins, I understand uh -huh. where, where you come from. He's done uh, four presentations, so I have all these business cards to kind of make sure I know which side. No, you're fine, man. It don't matter where y'all send it. I just, because what I plan on to do is taking it and present it to my church leadership. Uh, you'll have the first thing Monday morning. And, uh, and what's amazing is, y'all confirming what our, and at first I was like, we sure are spending money on stuff. And what our building and ground says, we need to change. We had the pop, popcorn style, mm -hmm. and it was starting to have in the joints coming undone, and I never paid attention. And uh, the chairman says, you might not be, but I promise you, our guests are seeing that, and that's mm -hmm. not a trite. But what ends up happening is we, we get so used to it. You know, we, we're used to stepping over the, the grass that's growing in the sidewalk. We're getting used to it. My son had to call me out a while back. He says, you need to practice what you preach. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, look at your bedroom. Over your closet, you got this big crack in your drywall. I'm like, yeah, it's been there seven or eight years. I don't even see it anymore. You know, mm -hmm. the cobbler's children have no shoes. You know, same kind of thing for me. So we're all guilty of, of it. Yeah. The more you see it, the less you see it. Right, that's it. Yeah. You just get accustomed to it. Yeah. And I find uh, the toilet paper and the mint one hilarious. I can't stand mints in the bathroom because this is what happens. People go, go to the bathroom and grab the mints, and the mints bowl will sit there and sit there and collect dust, and you're seeing dust on the mint. Uh, no, there ain't nothing more distasteful just, just seeing dust on mints. I'm like, I ain't touching that. That might have been there when Jesus was walking. <laughs> <laughs> what's it, Tim, or what's it, uh, Tom, that was mentioning? I think I heard one of y'all mention about uh, the fake flowers in the bathrooms that never get dusted. Yes. Yeah. I took that to heart when I heard that podcast. I went to every one of them and I sit there because. <laughs> We never think about the dust on the big flowers. And what was funny after I did, I had people say, yeah, we can do fake flowers? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all very much. Thank you all. I'll be safe. Appreciate it.